right, let's get things going here. For those of you just joining us, welcome. Welcome to the regularly scheduled P2P call. Our, or I'm sorry, not P2P. I've got too many things going in front of me. This is the Tuesdays at 2 with the MEC, and we want to welcome you to it. Got a great group in the room here. I see Eric has joined us. Eric always has a great presentation, and uh, he is showing that on his screen now. So I'm just going to kick things over to Eric. I want to welcome you, and welcome, Eric. How are you doing today? Hey, Kevin, doing well. Um, yeah, awesome. Uh, I'm going to kind of dig right into this. Uh, got a bunch of slides on Minday to cover. Um, it gets a little mathy, but uh, nothing uh, nothing too complex. Um yeah, so with that, a uh, little different than our usual uh, kind of dismantling of the grievances, right? Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Minday as there's some pretty significant changes with the uh, 2024 Minday. And then talk a little bit about how um, long trips uh, kind of interact with uh, the Minday because uh, they're really, as we'll see by the end of this, um, very minimal interaction. Um, and that's what, uh, that's what is management's talking about in CQ classes, uh, is that, uh, they don't want to, uh, negotiate long trips because long trips, uh, have an interaction with Minday that they don't understand. Uh, so we'll try to demystify that a little bit, right? Um, all right. So, uh, I just want to start with a little call to action here, right? Um, uh, there's some very real budgetary constraints uh, with uh, properties like ours that are running uh, really high uh, new hire attrition, right? We're running about 60%. Frontier says they're running about 80%. Uh, so what that means is that while we're pushing about you know 700 pilots, we're budgeted off of last year's budget, which I think was around 380 pilots. Uh, so our budget for this year um which was done maybe october or so last year looks backwards right and uh, it's just really hard to provide the basic services uh, for twice as many pilots um and then the constant churn means that people kind of never catch up and get off of probation right to uh, to increase the budget so those are some of the realities um and you know as we've grown um, you know, keeping up with hotels and crew meals and stuff is getting to be more complicated. And we just really need some people to front those conversations, right? We need more people to survey more hotels so we get more uh, direct feedback from hotels that we're not staying at in our system, right? And um, we need someone to front a crew meals conversation on, you know, tasting variety and all the other various aspects of crew meals uh, besides what gets fronted by the MEC and what gets fronted by the grievance committee, right? So not necessarily processing the uh, crew meal violations or that kind of thing, but uh, fronting the conversation on uh, what we want out of crew meals, right? All right. Uh, also with that, you know, Doug Rowe is uh, nearing retirement. Um, we could use a, a larger professional standards committee, um, just given the growth of the airline. And then uh, with Kevin uh, returning to the line shortly, going to class, uh, you know, all of this uh, podcast audio production stuff, Kevin kind of does extra on top of uh, his uh, MEC responsibilities, right? So um, it'd really be helpful if we had somebody with some some basic audio production uh, experience to step up, make sure that we can keep uh, keep producing these calls and posting them online. Uh, all right. Um, so if you know anybody, have them reach out to the MEC. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, and just email me directly. Email's on the bottom of all the comms, right? Easy to find. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, midterm bargaining here. Uh, and I'm going to invite Zillin to uh, to explain a little bit of this, right, um, as we kind of uh, talk about what uh, the items were that were exchanged and um, uh, kind of the limitations of the the actual language surrounding uh, this bargaining session, right? So uh, this stuff that's up on the screen here now um, is just, uh, it's in section 31, uh, if you want to refer to it. And uh, what we see here, right, each party may serve written notice specifying a maximum of four issues or provisions that the party proposes will be deleted, added, or amended, provided wages, retirement, and trip rig are not any of the issues or provisions to be opened, right? Um, and I think when you get to trip rig here, uh, there's a conversation about Minday and Minday as a rig, right? 
whether that's an excluded issue. And then um, uh, the issues must consist of single, separate, and specific changes to provisions in the new agreement and or uh, new single, separate, and specific provisions. So um, not wide swaths of the contract, certainly not full sections of the contract. That was what was being uh, contemplated here as being specifically excluded from this bargaining session, right? What it was supposed to be is after you know, a year of JWG work, mutually working to fix language, and then another year uh, with everything uh, operational and working and having been implemented, both sides would have a few uh, issues that needed resolution. And this was an attempt to try and deal with some of that, right? And for us and our side, um, one of the the hot button issues uh, that wasn't addressed in bargaining and needs to be addressed is schedule flexibility, right? Um, this comes in the way of various different trades, right? So you'll see here uh, specific and separate items, uh, not just one line item that says trip trades, but very specific narrow items, right? Partial trip drop trades, including jetway trades, right? Because uh, that's a type of partial. Uh, vertical and non-vertical trades with open time. Uh, so this really is just trades with open time on the same calendar days or different calendar days. And then uh, reserve ads, right? So trying to address uh, a way of doing reserve ads. Um, so from uh, 72 hours from the time of report up until 24 hours prior to report uh, seeking uh, the ability to uh, do reserve ads, which is simply really in a lot of ways is just deleting a note in uh, section four that excludes them uh, from anything but ads over vacation. Uh, and then uh, reserve staffing thresholds for trip drops. Um, so uh, a specific item having to do with when and how uh, drops are approved based on staffing, right? Um, and then we have the company proposed items, which are significantly wider, right? Where we see uh, dynamic simulator scheduling. So uh, just, uh, you know, we haven't talked about this stuff with the company yet, but to give it some context here, uh, dynamic simulator scheduling at Endeavor means that the students and the instructors don't have schedules. Um, so nothing is bid uh, in terms of uh, when you're going to be doing what type of work and the like. And truly, uh, one of the uh, central items that was negotiated um, during our negotiating cycle was pay protection for uh, simulators that cancel. Um, and uh, there was a trade there, I think, you know, with non-seniority list instructors expanding work into the sims. And uh, this is a, an effort to uh, undermine that uh, cancellation pay and have, um, uh, you know, the, the benefits of non-seniority list instructors working in the sim. I uh, want to note that this has been negotiated twice in two years, right? Uh, and here we see uh, an item that would really demand an entire section rewrite uh, of Section 18 uh, and then a section rewrite for uh, students. So two sections, right? Um, training pilot blank day is probably an easier version of that, but it is essentially kind of a reserve day for training pilots. Um, it does have entangling alliances throughout the entire Section 18. Uh, domicile opening and closing provisions, right? This looks as simple as deleting an arbitration clause, but is actually uh, quite a bit deeper than that, right? Because uh, what's missing and why that arbitration clause is in place is um, the displacement language uh, for, you know, junior pilots who are Minneapolis-based uh, or even senior pilots right now, who gets displaced to another base if you open up two or three bases, right? Um, and nobody raises their hand to go to those bases, who goes, right? That language isn't in our contract, um, nor is anything having to do with moving expenses, right? Um, so highly unlikely that uh, an arbitrator would entertain deleting an arbitration clause that is meant to uh, force the party is to have a, an adult conversation about uh, provisions that haven't been negotiated uh, in the past. It's a simple thing. We're all for opening bases, but you do need the language there to uh, support how that's done. Um, and then we have a red-eye uh, duty period exception. Uh, that's a little unclear exactly what they're asking for there. Uh, maybe by the end of the slide deck, you'll see a little bit of uh, why someone might want that, uh, as well as why it's 
probably not um, not as important as they necessarily believe it is. Uh, Zillin, um, anything to add on kind of the midterm items and kind of the size and scope of what uh, what's being asked for here? How how long, how many man days of work you think it would take to to actually entertain these things? Well, um, yeah, it, it, to me, most of those uh, things that the company has proposed, I'd say maybe the training plan at Blake Days, that's probably the simplest one on there. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. There's just simply um, uh, the rest of these are pretty pretty wide, um, whereas you know the blank days can get fairly specific. You know, uh, um, depending on how they're they're put on schedules, right? Yeah, the um, dynamic uh, sim scheduling thing, without having you know clarity on what the company is really talking about there, that opens a pretty big can of worms into potentially two sections. If they're just talking about instructors, it's section 18. If they're talking about, you know, uh, trainees and instructors, they're talking about section 18 and 11, which is uh, pretty big, which would not, in my opinion, fall under what was intended by the midterm bargaining. It was basically to fix problems uh, that were going to be kind of no cost to either side. And if you look at just the dynamic sim scheduling thing there, that could be a huge impact to how instructors and uh, trainees are getting scheduled, which could impact their quality of life and or pay hugely. Um, not at all what uh, I think midterms was intended to do. Um, the domicile opening and closing, uh, just off the top of my head, remembering back to the Portland arbitration you'd have to write a whole section six, which is basically uh, moving expenses, which, um, you know, we could dig back into the archives and find the work that we did on it. I don't know, what is it coming up on about five years ago now? It's hard to believe it's been that long. Um, we could dig some of that out, which would expedite some of that, but it's a, it's a big undertaking to do a whole section in a contract that doesn't even exist right now. And then you would also, that would touch section 24, uh, like you were saying, Eric, uh, how do you move pilots from one base to another? How does a pilot move into a base, get out of a base? Is he, how do they, how do we, you know, literally, how do people get forced to go to, you know, Laughlin and be a captain? Uh, how do they get forced to go to BF Egypt and be an FO if they don't want to be? So that's really what that language does in section 24 that it'd have to be developed because right now there's no language on that. Um, so that's a pretty big undertaking and a lot of, uh, thought has to go into that because I mean, I know I'm pretty senior, probably not going to be me, but I do care about the people that have come here. I've flown with and trained a lot of those guys and I don't want to see them, you know, put in situations because I know a lot of those people came here because it was a Minneapolis base. Um, so that being said, that's a, that's a huge undertaking in my my opinion. Uh, the red eye duty period exception, I guess I'm going to have to get more clarity from the company on that. But I think it has to do, like you said, with some of the slides that are coming up. I had the privilege of you know previewing some of this stuff uh, and helping uh, uh, Eric with it. Uh, I think that may come clear. Uh, it's it's kind of like what you might call the best guess that everybody. Uh, on the Alpha side kind of guesses they might be talking about there, but until the words come out of their mouth and they say, this is what we're, what we mean by this and this is what we want to do. We won't really know. So um, hopefully that kind of sums up the, the midterm stuff on the company side. Our stuff is truly uh, was to fix problems that didn't get fixed in the last uh, negotiation and uh, that's really what we're trying to do there. They should be, if you look at all of these trade stuff, it's really intended that the doesn't cost the company really anything to do this other than some administrative burden to manage it. Um, it's really, you move the credit from one pilot to another pilot and the company pays the same basically. Because the company shouldn't care which pilot gets the credit if the pilot's getting the day off or the leg off that they need or want. So um, the reserve staffing threshold is basically we already have um, reserves every day and we just got to figure out what what is an acceptable level that we can allow drops and trades and stuff like that. So it's really those four items should be relatively no cost to the company other than administrative burden. 
So that's right. Yeah, I guess a couple questions I have right on dynamic simulator scheduling. Um, uh, you know, is that just instructors, just students, uh, or is it the simulators themselves? Right, all that stuff's a little bit unclear. But yeah. if it is all the instructors and all their schedules and all of the students and their schedules, which is what the Endeavor model is, uh, solid two sections of the contract, right? Um, yeah, and I know I'm talking to the other instructors out there that, you know, part of what they wanted and we negotiated for and got in the contract was a known schedule. Everybody wants to know their schedule and be able to have some schedule flexibility. And, uh, you know, yeah, this could the, potentially the to exercise some amount of seniority in that schedule yeah. bidding as well. Yeah. Exactly. And this could undermine it. And that's the question I've had at the instructors ask me is like, what does this mean? They can just tell me I can work any day. And I go, I don't know. I don't really know what that means, but maybe yeah. it could be the that model basically is everyone's on everyone is on reserve that's in training. Nice. Yeah. And you just get called out. The the blank days are just simply a shorter call out time. Um and then one of the big questions with the domicile opening and closing, right? If you're a captain now. You know, do you displace into another base as a captain? Do you end up having a forced downgrade um, if you're going to stay in mini, right, as the mm -hmm. positions start to uh, become diluted and move across to, uh, into other bases? So there's a lot mm -hmm. of really big questions to be asked here that are, you know, um, uh, it's kind of a bolting on of, you know, many, many different issues onto, you know, one title, right? Yeah, I guess I would not look at those as as, as uh, small and specific items. They're pretty pretty big. So, yeah, that's, that's I mean, it's good question. Do you get forced out? Do you you know? And I don't even know if the company realizes the the training domino that could come out of you know just one base, let alone two bases, that happens continually. It's just, and I'm not sure with the problems in our training department right now, it can handle that type of. Uh, stress yeah add to that we exchanged issues on the 5th of january um there's a 60-day clock that's now ticking and the company has said they're not available to meet until the 26th of january not a lot of time to take care of some really big issues um though these are all things that need to be addressed and they they need time and um effort uh, you know, shoving them in front of an arbitrator in uh, in 35, 40 days uh, is, I think, probably going to be fairly complicated. All right, Zellin, um, I'm going to move on. Uh, yep. And certainly we can come back and revisit these in the Q&A at the end here. All right, so digging into the Min, uh, Min Daily Guarantee, uh, for 2024, right? So um, I'm going to draw a little contrast between the average uh, guarantee of uh, of 2023 and then walk through uh, the new provisions of 2024, which include uh, the minimum daily guarantee, um, how two duty periods and a calendar day uh, interact, um, as well as uh, a red-eye turn uh, duty period credit. So note that this is a little different than kind of how uh, we kind of colloquially refer to red eyes um, at this company. It's, it's just anything that touches uh, or crosses the uh, the O200 mark uh, is seen as a uh, as a red eye in this context. And then um, reserve time duty exception to Minday. Uh, this is just how you um, apply Minday to a reserve uh, who also has duty right uh, while they're on reserve time uh, and excludes or there's an exception for the reserve time from the Minday pay. So um, we can talk about how that works a little bit and I got some slides with some graphics so you can kind of see how it uh, see how how it all lays out. Right. Um, all right. So as we dig into this um, right in 2023, we had an average. Uh, trip credit in 2024, we moved to a minimum daily credit, right? So uh, important uh, in 2024 to um, uh, first and foremost grasp that there's a five-hour min day on any day that there is duty. It has to pay at least five hours, okay? 
Um, so anything that crosses that 0200 mark is going to trigger another min day because there's duty on that calendar day. Uh, and that's always being assessed um, in comparison to the um, credit inside of the duty period. Okay. Uh, so they're, they're different and they're tied. They're a little bit tied together. The min day uh, guarantee is assessed against, you know, the report time for that duty period. So um, should be pretty, uh, pretty clear by the time we get to the end of the slide deck, how that works. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to move into the slides because I think uh, that's where the, the valuable stuff is here. Right. So just taking a look backwards to 2023 so we can create some contrast here. Um, in 2023, we operated under this language, which is found in uh, 4E2 and 4E3. Um, and what this is, right, so a minimum of five hours of pay and credit averaged for each calendar day in a multi multiple calendar day trip sequence or five hours for a single or a one duty period trip sequence. So note that the five hours was tied directly to the duty period here. Uh, rather than the calendar day, and that uh, you averaged uh, uh, the minimum daily credit over the course of the trip, right? So what you see here is an example where there was seven and a half hours of block on day one, uh, no block on day two, and seven and a half hours of block on day three, right? So 15 hours of block over three days, and that averages uh, 15 hours of pay. So uh, whether this paid off of... Um, uh, the average min day or the block is irrelevant because both play 15, right? So essentially no credit on day two. The inefficiency burden there is placed on the pilot and uh, there's a reliance on rig um, to protect pay and the bidding power, right? Um, and importantly in PBS, the bidding power. So now in 2024, uh, we have a, a five-hour credit on every calendar day, right? So um, that's uh, any calendar day in which there's duty or you're not in domicile and rest, right? So uh, except as described in paragraphs F2 and F3 below, uh, each calendar day in which a pilot is assigned to duty or required to remain away from his domicile shall pay and credit no less than five hours, all right? So uh, same scenario, three-day trip with the seven and a half hours of block on day one and day three. The interior middle day has a five-hour credit because of this part, you know, um, required to remain away from his domicile, right? So uh, you're on the three-day trip, pays five hours in the middle, even though there was no duty on that day, for a total of 20 hours of credit. Okay, and remember, there's always rig in the background of this as well, right? Um, tough to beat the rig, um, but nonetheless, just uh, taking a look at how the min day works and not looking at the rig at all, uh, this would pay uh, 20 hours of credit. Um, and note that uh, the no duty on Tuesday, right? That's rigged by the five hour minimum ga daily guarantee now. All right, so, um, Conversely, and just kind of a kind of another version of this, right, uh, is where day one's credit, the seven and a half hours of credit that was tied to the report time for this duty period on Monday, uh, now carries and doesn't cross the 0200 mark, right? Um, uh, but there is duty on this day, uh, but not on the contractual calendar day, right? Note that some of the credit from that seven and a half hours occurred over here on the other day. Um, uh, but it doesn't matter because it hasn't crossed the 0200 threshold for the calendar day. Um, but the report time anchors the block credits for the calendar day. Okay, so um, even though there might have been flying that was performed on Tuesday, um, uh, what happens here is all of that block credit is tied to the anchored by right the uh, the report time for Monday. So. Pays the same as uh, if there was no uh, no work on Tuesday at all, and in fact, contractually here, um, there is no work on Tuesday. Pays exactly the same as the the previous example, um, and the block credit earned uh, right during the duty period was reported on Monday. Applies against the midday credit rig for Monday. Right? Important to note, and um, again, no duty uh, performed on Tuesday. So this is exactly the same as the last slide. I uh, just want to note what happens when you cross the camp, the, what is the, you know, um, uh, the next day in terms of non-contractual days, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. 
um, contractual day, right, again, is uh, the 0200 crossing. So uh, let's take a look at the next slide here where we cross the 0200 mark, right? Um, this one's going to pay the same as well, but it pays the same in a slightly different way, the language that underlies it, right? So uh, you have a report on Monday, all of the credit from that duty period is assessed against the min day for Monday, right? So there's a there's a five-hour min day that's hanging out in the back on Monday because you had duty that occurred on Monday. But note that you cross the 0200 period here, so there becomes a, there's actually a, um, uh, the red-eye rig uh, kicks in here, right? So you have seven, but note that the block is still seven and a half, and this is going to play off of block. Note that the credit, the flying, actually went across the 0200 mark here, right? So now you have duty on Tuesday, uh, but it hasn't changed the pay at all, right? It's not as if the leg that was flowing after the 0200 mark uh, is applied uh, to the Tuesday uh, calendar day. Um, so all of the flying that occurred in the duty period that reported on Monday is still occurring on Monday and credits at seven and a half still, okay? And then Tuesday, you have uh, duty on this calendar day. So this Monday, which was uh, no credit, or sorry, uh, five hours of credit for no duty, um, now has some duty there, and that five hours is um, triggered by the duty um, that is occurring on this calendar day. And then note that on Wednesday here, uh, seven and a half hours a block, uh, just like we've seen in the previous examples, okay? So um, Tuesday still carries that minimum guarantee. Uh, and in fact, and it occurs a red-eye guarantee, as we'll see uh, in a few slides later, um, of seven, but it doesn't pay off of Minday at all, right? The net effect of the Minday is the same here in this example as with the previous examples. So in this example, what we're going to see is a trip that ends uh, on Wednesday and crosses the 0200 mark, okay? And note that this is a three-day trip. It's not a single-duty period trip. Um, and I guess I should probably note back here that this is part of a trip too, so it doesn't trigger the red eye seven hours I was talking about. Um, uh, this one really is seven and a half hours with a five hour midday in back of it. Uh, the seven hour midday for the uh, red eye turn has to be a, a single duty period trip. So this has the five hour midday in the back, credits seven and a half off of the day. Sorry for that. So here, what we see uh, two and a half hours of credit. Uh, on day one, right? So you flew Minneapolis to DFW, about two and a half hours a block. Um, that's going to pay a five-hour Minday, okay? Because the Minday exceeds the block in this case. On Tuesday, uh, scheduled was, um, you know, kind of a midday report, one or two in the afternoon. You're going to go DFW to Las Vegas to Minneapolis over uh, 6.4 hours, Okay. Um, and this actually arrives back after the 0200 mark, crosses the 0200 mark, and triggers um, the uh, five-hour midday for Wednesday, okay? Uh, so in this case, what we see is five hours of pay on Monday, 6.4 hours of pay on Tuesday, because all of the block in that duty period uh, is tied or anchored to uh, the report time on Tuesday, and then a uh, five-hour midday on Wednesday triggered by going past the 0200 mark for 16.4 hours of pay um, mixed between the block and the midday, right? Now, how does the rig apply to this? Totally different question, different equation, um, but just looking at the midday, uh, this is how it pays 16.4. Now, uh, you fly the same exact trip, but you uh, decide to pick up, um, let's say, like a Chicago turn that evening, okay? Um, so you pick it up out of open time because you have 12 hours of rest here on Wednesday. Now, you've triggered the five-hour midday on Wednesday, and so that the credit from the added O'Hare turn doesn't just simply credit towards the midday that you've already earned by going past 0200. We have this provision here, uh, which is uh, 4F1, okay? So a pilot who's scheduled, rescheduled, assigned, or reassigned for more than one duty period in a calendar day, where such duty periods are separated by legal by legal rest period, will receive minimum daily credit for each duty period, okay? 
Um, so you can do this by adding out of open time. Uh, you might have a trip with a delay that incurs two different duty periods. Um, important to understand uh, what happens here, right, is that the midday uh, for crossing 0200 here in the morning of Wednesday uh, does not offset any credit earned in uh, the credit earned in this um, a Chicago turn that was added doesn't just simply pay into that uh, that midday that you earned in the morning, right? Or there would be no incentive or no reason to go pick up open time, right? So uh, that's what this provision is doing, is uh, providing for uh, that extra midday on that calendar day. Um, so in total, paying uh, 21.4 hours, right? The 16.4 plus the five for the Chicago turn. This is the red eye exception um, uh, to the five hour midday, right? So uh, where these duty periods would have tied uh, to um, their report time and paid five hours, note they crossed the 0200 mark. And as a result, uh, they pay uh, seven hours for that duty period. Note that, that seven hours of credit is tied to that report time, just like all the other trips that we do. Okay, so uh, this duty period that crosses Monday to Tuesday, all of the credit inside of that duty period, uh, whether it's block and exceeds the seven hour uh, red eye turn credit, um, or if it is uh, below the seven hours, right, shorter, maybe a Denver uh, kind of thing or something like that. Um, in that case, uh, you have a minimum uh, credit for uh, this red eye, which is seven hours. And where this really matters is in uh, in the PBS bidding, right? Um, that's going to be, you know, every one of these that you fly, um, about every two to three of these, right, uh, is going to be an extra uh, two hours of, of pay, uh, in that duty period, which is going to equal more days off, right? Because uh, you're going to have more credit in the solution in PBS. So uh, the language here, uh, 4F2, and this is the uh, one of the um, exceptions to the five hours uh, midday pay in the header of the paragraph uh, four, right? So 4F2, uh, a red-eye turn is a single duty period trip that consists of two or more legs without an intervening rest period that returns to domicile after 0200 hours local time. So note, um, this just has to do with crossing the 0200 mark and um, could have a report time, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon or something like that, uh, incur a delay and then cross the 0200 mark and uh, still uh, at that point trigger the seven hours of pay. Okay, so, um, uh, a pilot awarded or assigned a red-eye turn will receive pay and credit for the scheduled leg values, block time, or seven hours, whichever is greater, okay? So, um, essentially, instead of uh, being worth five hours of pay for that calendar day, uh, the calendar day that has a duty period that crosses 0200 triggers seven hours of pay, okay? So what we see here, seven hours for the red-eye that's scheduled to report on Monday, seven hours for the red-eye that's scheduled to report on Tuesday, and note that you perform duty on Wednesday, right? So um, you always have the five-hour calendar day where you have duty on any day, right? So on Monday, you had duty, and there has to be a five-hour placeholder there. Tuesday, you had duty. There has to be a five-hour placeholder there. Wednesday, there's duty on Wednesday. That's a five-hour placeholder, right? So the header paragraph uh, four um, is always working in the background here, uh, or 4F, I should say, right? Um, and that's five hours, 15 hours of pay, right? 15 hours for the sequence over the three calendar days based on the midday guarantee. But note that two of these duty periods cre uh, carry a seven hour credit, right? The red eye here, the red eye here. Wednesday has a five hour duty period there, right? Um, because there's duty, like any other trip that carried out over the over 0200 mark, um, a five-hour duty period uh, or five-hour midday uh, that's captured there, right, for having performed duty on that day. So seven, seven, five, 19 hours over the course of three days. Here, uh, we see how this interacts with, uh, with reserve. Okay, so uh, the orange represents a PM reserve period. Um, and then uh, Wednesday, we have some flying here that's assigned to the reserve. Um, and note the language here, 4F3. This is an exception to the header paragraph 4F, uh, just like uh, 4F2 was. So 4F3 
Reserve time does not qualify for minimum daily credit. However, a reserve uh, pilot assigned additional duty during reserve time shall receive at least minimum daily credit for such assigned duty. So note that our contract requires that any duty that's assigned to a reserve has a report time inside of the reserve time, right? Um, so then that credit uh, inside of the trip that's assigned uh, credits against that day, right? So uh, simply the uh, the PM reserve time, while it is duty, there is an exception here uh, that that duty doesn't carry a five-hour minimum day with it. Um, when you're assigned flying, then the minimum day is triggered, right? So no minimum daily credit is due for the reserve time on Monday or Tuesday. All there is is a reserve time there, right? Uh, then the pilot is assigned a Minneapolis, uh, Chicago, Minneapolis turn on Wednesday, about 2.3 hours of lock or so, right? Uh, so that's going to trigger a five-hour minimum daily credit uh, for the turn performed on Wednesday. Um, note that that five hours is going to pay until uh, towards guarantee until uh, guarantee is broken, right? But uh, it is credit towards guarantee at five hours uh, for shorter days, right? Um, and we are seeing some more of this kind of stuff, right? The the little Eau Claire jog, um, stuff up to Fargo, um, turns to Chicago and Denver, um, even Indianapolis. Uh, you can kind of get into this this corner, right? So uh, important that we protect those shorter days uh, as we're flying more uh, short legs, right? All right. So uh, delayed turn, right? So this is um, this is where you have like kind of the 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 PM turn, right, that uh, becomes delayed and how this is going to pay with the midday credit, right? So um, you're going to incur, because we go past the 0200 mark, you're going to uh, invoke the uh, 4F2 uh, minimum uh, credit of seven hours for the red-eye turn, right? Notice the single duty period still, um, right? So uh, on duty means all lapse time between the report and the release time. In this case, you have a delay, it goes past the 0200 mark, it's gonna trigger that midday on Tuesday, right? The five hour credit on Tuesday for the duty that's on, on Tuesday. Uh, but note that the duty period is anchored to the report time and the credit inside of that duty period uh, is at least seven hours because it crosses 0200 and uh, may exceed that. And in this case, we have a Minneapolis-San Francisco turn, right, um, uh, that was uh, scheduled um, to get back at uh, uh, 0.130 in the morning, right? Uh, incurred a small, maybe even just a de-icing delay out of Minneapolis and now um, uh, releases at 0.210 in the morning, right? So you've crossed that 0200 mark and uh, so you have a, in the background here, seven hours uh, midday on Monday, five hour midday on Tuesday, right? Um, note that the duty period pays off a credit, in this case, 7.6 hours for Minneapolis, San Francisco, Minneapolis. Um, and the total pay for the uh, this trip is 12.6 uh, because you've now incurred the five hour midday, right? All right. Um, this is the language in total uh, for this paragraph. Okay. Note that there's a header here, right? Except as described in paragraphs F2 and F3, right? We've read through this language, uh, but important to note how the language is structured in the contract. So uh, the header, right, is the rule, and then you have kind of exceptions to that rule below. Um, Noting that the red eye, right, for crossing 0200, even though it reports at three in the afternoon, wouldn't normally be thought of a red eye as a red eye, because it touches that 0200 mark now has a seven hour minimum credit that it carries. Um, but you're always doing kind of two calculations, maybe three calculations, right? So you're always looking at the calendar day. Was there duty or were you required to remain away from your domicile that day? Five hours of pay. That's always happening in the background, right? And then you have exceptions to this um, that are occurring as well. So two duty periods on that day, uh, right? You're going to have two min days that day. Uh, F2 here, right, what we see is everything is going to pay at 5 unless it crosses 0200, then that duty period is going to pay at 7. And uh, an exception from the 5 hours pay for um, reserve time duty, right? 
But you're always looking at that five hours in the background. Then you're going to look at the block um, or maybe the uh, red eye turn credit as a backstop. And then you're also going to make some assessments against rig, right? So um, the next series of slides here uh, really has to do with um, the long trips uh, in the short year and say like a four or five day trip and how rig interacts with the fir day first and day last, right? So um, if we look at a long trip here um, that runs from noon on the first day to noon on the last day, right? So that uh, um, so that you can kind of see um, the difference between the block and the credit here, right? So. Uh, in the block line, we have zero credit, then eight hours a block, zero credit, eight hours a block, right? Um, and just kind of going back and forth from a high credit day to no credit, and you sit by the pool all day, right? Um, so how is that going to uh, going to pay, right? Um, you're going to have a minimum day here on day one, then the block on, on Tuesday, minimum credit on Wednesday, right? But look what happens in the math here, right? So if you report at noon on Monday and release at noon on Saturday, you're going to have 288 hours of credit uh, or 288 hours uh, away from base, okay? Divided by the rig denominator to come up with 82.3 uh, hours based off of rig. Or if you just add up all of the eights and the fives here in this line uh, for credit, 83 hours of credit, right? So a uh, minimal amount of effect uh, for a long trip based on uh, min day. Uh, it just doesn't really affect uh, the long trip very much. And as you start to dig deeper into it, you find that um, uh, it's really the first and last day that's most affected by, by rig calculations, right? So now if we look at a shorter trip, right? Um, again, reporting at uh, noon on Monday, releasing noon on Friday. Uh, where we have 96 hours uh, time away from base divided by the rig denominator, 27.4 hours of credit, and then based off of the min days, the five hours uh, where we have no credit on these days, uh, very similar, right? 27 hours of credit, okay? So it's really the day first and day last where you start to notice the effect of uh, min day on, against the rig. So upshot, right? Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, day first and day last are only worth uh, 3.42 since they start at and end at noon, right? And you kind of look at the math, you got to get out to 17.5 hours of of duty on that day, which is uh, impossible, right? Uh, to get to five. And you have the 6.8 hours per day that's the mid trip rig, right? So 24 hours of duty, all the mid trip days are going to pay. Uh, off a rig at 6.8 unless you beat 6.8, right? Um, the noon uh, report and release on day first and last, right? So that um, uh, induces a lower rig, right? Which would need to be overcome by a sufficiently high credit during the interior days. So the, you got to really have a lot of um, interior high credit days. Uh, otherwise, the trip is just simply going to pay off a rig, right? And... Um, if the first and last days add more time, right? So you report, you know, earlier than noon and release uh, later than noon, rig is is pretty much always going to pull ahead here, right? So uh, first and last days, um, they need to exceed, as I said, 17.5 hours to beat the rig um, or beat the min day, which just isn't going to happen. There's no mathematical way of doing it. And then uh, uh, on first and last, right, because you have the report and the release that cut the uh, the rig calculation there and then uh, the upshot here right um uh more first and last days you have in the month the more likely it is that you're going to get paid off of midday rig uh versus trip and duty rigs right or restated simply long trips minimize the effect of the midday rig right so when you're hearing this in ground schools that um you can't negotiate uh long trips because of the effect of midday understand how the math actually works all right. Yeah, let um, me jump in here, Eric. I'll just comment yeah. in a little bit. It's for me. I try to have to think about it simply. That, and you guys can play around with the math with the rig, and I think it becomes pretty evident that 
the longer the trip, it really only comes into play first day, last day. It's like if you start on noon or late in the day on the first day and you fly like one leg to DFW and then go over to Fort Worth, that would be five hours. And then you fly for the next 10 days. You typically are not exceeding, you know, 6.86 per day on those. So the rig is going to be larger in those 10 days. And the last day you did head home from DFW, it's going to be when the midday comes in again, it's five hours. So the longer the trip, the more the midday becomes less of a uh, issue. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of how I look at that. And like Eric said, the more first day, last days you have during a scheduled month, the more the midday com comes into play. The midday is more impactful on the shorter trips than it is on the longer trips. It's some really uh, backwards thinking when people come in and say that they can't do long trips because of the midday now. They're, they're, I'm not sure they're understanding or they've been misinformed that how that comes into play because really it was the beauty of this is the long trips kind of get diluted because of the rig they're paying off rig probably 99 percent of the time you would have to have some really wonky flying in there to to make it do something different i think yeah that's right yeah i mean the the minday here really is about um protecting day first and day last and some really odd scenarios like uh the honors flights that we used to do right so those would pay 10 hours of credit um and generating that credit meaningfully so that you generate days off in pbs right um yeah. yeah yeah that was really that's that's why a lot of people ask why you know well obviously there's it's a different story now pbs was intended to be here like a year ago the reason the company wanted to delay pbs by at least a year because originally they were thinking we could do it in three months um was so that the company would have time because this obviously under PBS affects your staffing. Um, rig, Minday is kind of a rig in, in, on its own. It's kind of falls into that category of a rig. And what they are is they're behavior modification tools. That's a kind of a term when, when you're talking about scheduling is that what that means is when you put in rigs and Mindays and average Mindays and different types of Mindays that we've had and other places have it it changes the behavior of how the company creates schedules bills schedules bills trips and so it's to incentivize the company uh to build more pleasant schedules have more days off for pilots and that's how these things kind of interact in a uh, world with pbs is by putting these credit on these days when you're sitting around at the hotel because for the most part pilots don't care too much if they're sitting in the back of the airplane the front of the airplane or sitting at the hotel they just want to get uh paid for their time at work and how the company chooses to use them is totally up up to the company and so this comes into play so that when the pbs world comes along if and when it ever does um it should drive on average about two days off per pilot more. So anyway, that's yep. my spiel. And that's on it. it. That is how the math works. All right. Um, you know, I'm just going to run through these slides uh, and I'm going to keep running these on all these calls. Um, it, we really um, are seeing a shift in labor policy across the industry. Uh, the folks that have been around for a long time understand who Ford and Harrison is, right? That's a, a law firm that's used pretty much by uh, all of the airlines uh, to run, you know, union avoidance uh, policy and strategies. Uh, they do training seminars for management. Um, and in fact, uh, we sub out some of our uh, HR uh, work to um, uh, either Ford and Harrison or their subsidiary, um, which is uh, uh, F&H Solutions, okay, um, who runs uh, like HR for for companies to mitigate, um, uh, you know, liability, right? So uh, what we're seeing from, you know, each property as I'm talking to more and more people, 
uh, Delta Endeavor, Frontier, United, Spirit, they're all saying the same stuff here, which is we're negotiating things and we're um, we're getting a strategy back that really amounts to gaslighting and um, just denying that uh, there's anything like um, a staffing problem, right? Uh, whether you can, you know, on one side of this, you can say there's a pilot shortage, Alpa's position, right? Uh, there is no pilot shortage. There's a pay shortage, and the companies who are willing to pay aren't understaffed, right? Um, uh, in what we're seeing at Delta, right, uh, your contract's not real until an arbitrator says so. So it's no longer good enough to uh, negotiate a contract, um, but you have to arbitrate all of the provisions in it in order to uh, have precedent-setting settlements that say that they're real. Um, that is a, a pretty significant shift from what I've seen doing this work for the last 15 years, uh, you know, 20 plus years for Zillin. Um, and it, it really is a scorched earth labor policy. Um, and it just says, we don't need your help. Um, anything that uh, is a problem, we're just going to ignore, um, right? So. Uh, you hear rhetoric at all of these properties. Attrition is to plan. They're saying the same thing at all of these companies. Uh, we don't have an attrition problem, right? Classes are full. doesn't matter if the class is four or the class is 35. I've been hearing this stuff since back uh, in the Endeavor pinnacle days, really, um, kind of back when, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of people that came over here because we were going through a bankruptcy. So uh, kind of the the hair of uh, Ross Schumacher and Danny White and Sarah Borg, as well as uh, Al Haugie, um, right? There's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Chris Vanderhoek, um, Starsky, all, all defections from that era um, where we were hearing the same kind of rhetoric back then, but now it's being loaded with something that means a little bit more, which is, uh, we don't have any problem. We don't need you to help us. We're not going to do interim bargaining and we're going to only deal with you, uh, when we have to under the RLA. And then when you get into arbitrations, we're going to weaponize those arbitrations, um, and not negotiate with you, right? Every, a uh, single item is seen as an incremental gain. Uh, so even things that are helpful to them, such as, uh, you know, reserve ads, uh, where there's productivity to be had, no, uh, total denial of reality there, right? Uh, just uh, mitigate and marginalize, don't need help, but don't need help as help or voice. Uh, no expertise is, um, uh, is uh, offered or uh, accepted, right? Uh, so, what we see is the stuff where they're trying to create, you know, direct relationships with the employee. These are union avoidance strategies that are employed by places like Amazon. Um, and, you know, there's videos online. You can Google them up and watch them. Uh, and we hear this stuff uh, out of our management as well, right? We're going to have a direct relationship with the employee um, and ignore uh, what the uh, what the union has to say about um, uh, representing uh, people in terms of their pay and work rules, right? Um, and that's all just to hide, right, the uh, the issues from the grievance process. You know, it's this whole, you go ahead and tell me about it, uh, write me a letter, I'll crumple that up and throw it in the trash, and uh, the union never saw it, and so there's nothing they can do about it. And you, know, you take it one step further, and what you start to see, um, maybe a strategy out of Ford and Harrison where they're really trying to save their large properties, right? Um, smaller properties, Frontier, Spirit, uh, us, um, right? Um, go ahead, do the scorched earth policy, let the people attrit out of those places so that you can save the deltas and uniteds. Um, that's pretty bleak, right? And the uh, management teams that are subscribing to Ford and Harrison's strategy here, uh, there is not an end game that works here for them, um, right? They run into problems uh, today, right? Uh, missing 16 lines in the bid pack, right? These are the kinds of things that we would help them out of the ditch for because you had a good functional relationship and um, could expect to meet at the table and negotiate things that matter like long trips, right? But um, when the relationship is, uh, you know, scorched earth um, and it's done in a labor policy that's set by management and it's their choice to go down that path, it makes it very difficult to help them out of the ditch. Right. Um, all right. With that, um, 
let's open this thing up to uh, to Q and A. Uh, whatever you guys have, uh, by all means, let's talk about it. Um, uh, some of this stuff gets uh, gets fairly complex with uh, um, uh, the math and the like when you get into rig questions and stuff. But we'll try and uh, try and field anything you have. Uh, uh, I'm guessing that's a lethard. Uh, you have your hand raised. Go ahead. You have the floor. Yeah, it's just it's. Uh, I just wanted to comment on it. it's interesting to see how the how the the, the nature of the work is kind of shifting and. Uh, I'm guessing that pilot groups that maybe don't have as robust a grievance process are going to be caught scrambling to um, continue to have the things that they bargained. And the kind of yeah, no, that's, the necessity. That, right. I yeah. mean, you got some, you know, couple years of a good look at this and how this works, right? And um, being the first property to uh to tie up a contract in this bargaining cycle right we're the first to implement we're the first to uh to go through all of that and um you know the uh, chris has uh, in excess of 2000 issue forms last year 176 i think formal grievances filed right um that means a lot of those pilot issue forms that 2000 are shoved into uh group grievances basically like class action lawsuits you know waiting for arbitration and um it is uh, uh to say the least um a massive workload right and a lot of these properties uh aren't used to having to work like that right um uh, you know, coming out of the the regional world, the pinnacle world, right? Uh, that was par for the course, and what you had to do to win. But um, you know, years and years of interest-based bargaining and good quality relationships are now being ruined by this this labor policy. Um, and you're seeing properties that aren't used to running, you know, hardcore uh, grievance processes caught flat-footed. Um, you know, uh, they just don't have the the skill set anymore to have a have a labor fight, right? Um, they're burning a lot of built up trust in the properties where there was the good relationship. I mean, you know, they get they get their one and done, right? And waylay me in the alley. Well, I'll be on my guard next time. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, and what you see, right? Um, you know, uh, just to kind of circle back around to the you know the call to action on you know crew meals or hotels. Um, the properties where you have a good relationship and management understands that it is um, hotels or crew meals, which are very difficult to legislate down to, uh, you know, a, a really granular level, oh, uh, literally impossible. They rely on relationship, right? And as those relationships are being torched, um, you're going to see the management that understands that motivating people by having a, you know, a good work environment. Uh, that's where uh, you see performance excel and airlines succeed. And places um, right like us, who actually has very good hotel language and very good crumia language. Uh, if you look at our language um, in contrast to the other stuff that's in the industry, um, you can use some updates, but for the most part much more fleshed out, much deeper language there uh, because those were things that were important to this pilot group in the past. And, um, you know, it does come down to relationship because you can can run that stuff over and make it really, really difficult. Um, so you see deterioration, right, out of uh, managements that don't um, value uh, the performance and, uh, you know, quality um, interaction with passengers that comes along with having people who are happy at work, right? I mean, the, uh, maybe stated in another way, just simply was the secret sauce of Southwest, right? And as they've burned that relationship, um, you know, going to a, a more traditional uh, relationship that uh, doesn't rely on happy employees, right? Uh, you've seen deterioration there as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I got to yeah. punch out, but uh, thanks. Good call so yeah. far. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Brian. Uh, anyone else? Uh, questions on uh, Minday in general, how Minday works, uh, how the Minday language works in 2024? Or midterm stuff. We got Zill in here. You can talk about midterm stuff a little bit. Uh, John. Yep, you got your hand up. Uh, go ahead, you have the floor. 
Are you able to hear me? Yep, I got you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I had a question. Um, one of the items that that we're asking for um, is reserve ads. The email you sent out the other day says reserve ads 24 to 27 hours prior to report time. What does that mean? What are you asking for? Yeah, 72 to 24 hours prior to report. Um, Zillin, you want to try to address that? Yeah, it's uh, basically the reserve guys. There's a lot of reserve guys that commute, and so they don't want to sit at the crash pad or sit in a hotel. So it would give them the ability to to say there's a trip out there, 72 to 24 hours. Say, I want that trip. I would like that trip. So it kind of, in a way, would bypass the order of assignment to a certain extent. But that's kind of what, in a nutshell, what we're looking at doing there is give the reserve guys the ability to add something going into a reserve period. So what that would do is like the day they could pick up a trip starting the day before their reserve period starts and goes into that first day or coming out of their last day, as I recall the language says. So they would be able to do something like that. Less luck of the draw on the FOLO and more of a... A little bit of control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We used to have a system, some of the guys that have been around here forever will remember that you could do, when you were on reserve uh, years ago, we could do a reserve preferencing. You wasn't guaranteed you were going to get the trip. You could say, oh, I see this trip that's coming up. I'm going to be on reserve. I would like that trip. If you have to assign that trip to a reserve, pick me. It was kind of the first version of what you might call FOLO that we ever had here. And then it got taken away many years ago, but it was something similar to that. Okay. So, cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. it's It should help the, the guys, especially who commute. That way, if you've signed up for a trip – uh, your two things are going to happen is you're going to know, not going to get called and go, okay, I got to, I got to commute in and sit there and maybe get called, maybe not get called. So you're going to have a little bit more knowledge of, okay, I can, I can kind of put myself on this trip to a certain extent, or I can volunteer for this trip and probably get it. So, okay. Uh, if you've got a second too, could you just describe what a jetway trade is? I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with that term and I don't think I'm alone. Um, let's say you live in, you live in LA, all right? And you're supposed to fly LA to Minneapolis and your trip is done. I'm gonna deadhead from LA back to Minneapolis and I live in Minneapolis and go, hey, I really don't wanna go to Minneapolis. Uh, and so I have to turn around and commute back and maybe the flight gets in at midnight. So you'd have to spend the night in Minneapolis before you could commute home the next morning. And you go, would you take this this off me? Yep, I'll, I'll fly it home for you. I was gonna deadhead anyway. Um, that type of thing. So gotcha. All right. Uh, so so that we can, as two pilots, we could split a trip that mutually benefits each other. Uh, you know, that's what what that kind of does. All right. Cool. Appreciate it. No problem. You bet. It's it's basically designed. You can see those things really are not a cost to the company because um, it's just who's going to do the work and who's going to get paid for it. The company shouldn't care if I do it as a Oh, we lost Zill in there. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's kind of all we all we do is we we we're not really increasing the cost of the company. We're just like, who's going to do this work? And as long as we're contractually and FAR legal, the company shouldn't care. So, yeah, that's the point. This stuff is um, uh, pretty widespread throughout the industry. All the stuff that we're asking for there are tools that are in almost every contract to help with um, schedule flexibility, right? I want to work. I don't want to work um, and, uh, on these specific days or hours, right? Uh, so that you can make commutes and so that you can make it to the the stuff of life, right? Um, and then as well, you know, the ability to pick up and make a little extra money when you want to work some more. Um, the reserve ads thing, uh, I think, threads the needle um, between uh, you know, seniority uh, with ads outside of 72 hours, right? You don't have the reserves who are uh, in the pool trying to add stuff. So it, there's a little more of a senior guy bite at that stuff. Inside of 72 hours, currently under the language right now, um, uh, crew scheduling can start to assign those trips anyways with the order of assignment, right? So this is a way for the, the reservist to say, hey, 
I'd like to fly something that's in open time that starts tomorrow and carries into the first day of my reserve stretch. And then I know what my commute is. Um, and the senior guy is not necessarily harmed by that earnings opportunity because it's going to get assigned out to a reserve anyways. The company, right, gets uh, the um, uh, the added uh productivity, right? And they get to keep their reserve that they would have assigned that to as a bird in hand. So it's a really good way to use productivity wisely. Um, uh, so hopefully uh, they'll understand what's going on there and we can make something happen. All right. Uh, anyone else? Questions, uh, comments? Uh, Todd LaSalle, you're up next. Go ahead. Uh, you're muted, Todd, if you're, uh, if you're talking, um, but you have the floor. I don't know if I can unmute you myself, but uh, yeah, I'm still muted. Uh, if anybody else wants to wants to go in front of Todd while he works on the uh, the mute function, there, um, go ahead. Yeah, still not hearing you, Todd. Hey, um, uh, Todd, if you want to just give me a call uh, afterwards, uh, you're more than welcome to do that too. Uh, anyone else questions, comments? All right. Uh, seeing none, I'm going to go ahead and wrap the call up for today. Uh, just in closing, right, call to action. If you want to get busy on uh, hotel committee, crew meals, uh, do a little audio production work for us or pro stands, please reach out. You can really use the help. Thanks.